0: Good morning everyone, my name is Rob and it's great for us to gather together online to um, gather around God's Word. Our reading today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 starting at verse 17 and I'll give you a few seconds to grab your Bibles or open your phones. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good in the first place i hear that when you come together as a church there are divisions among you and to some extent i believe it no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have god's approval so then when you come together it is not the lord's supper that you eat for when you are eating some of you go ahead with your own private suppers as a result One person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ uh, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions." This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, hello there. Uh, it is uh, great to be joining together in this. I hope you're having a good day, good morning, wherever you are joining in from. Hope you haven't yet had to resort to a homemade haircut, thanks to lockdown. Uh, unless, of course, your regular haircut is a homemade haircut, in which case you are sitting pretty. Uh Hope you got a Bible with you today, uh, because uh, this is such an interesting little bit of the Bible for us to look at and learn from today. Imagine for a minute uh, that you went today to find the link for this live stream. And instead of finding one link, you found two links. Uh, One link for those who are age 50 and older, and another link for those who are age 50 and under. Imagine if that's what you found today. How how would you feel about that? Or imagine uh, if you found two links, one for those who voted Liberal and one for those who voted Labour. How's that going to make you feel? I suspect that if that was the case, then I'd be right now seeing the text messages piling up on my phone with some very angry people, and, and that would make a lot of sense. Uh, or imagine the, the Zoom that we're going to join in together after this. Imagine we all jump on Zoom, and I start breaking us up into the breakout groups, and uh, there's two breakout groups today. One for those upstanding citizens who live in Lawson, and then another for all the rest of the rabble who live in the other villages. You know, how are you going to feel about that? Or Let's really up the ante. Imagine lockdown has ended. I know it feels like it's a long way off, but it's got to end sometime, right? Lockdown has ended. You start coming back into church here and you walk in and you've noticed that a wall has been built down the middle of the auditorium and there's a sign, men on the left, women on the right. How are you going to react to that? You're going to react to that with absolute outrage, aren't you? There's going to be a riot. I'm going to get letters written to the bishop and that would all be totally Fair and justified because we know that we are the people Jesus has brought together. We are the people Jesus has, has pulled from left, right, and center and made into one family, one body, because there's only one Savior. We're united around Him. And so it would be an absolute disaster, an absolute schmozzle for our church or any church to start dividing itself up along these kind of weird, irrelevant lines. It'd just be crazy for us to start rebuilding the walls that Jesus worked so hard to pull down. It would be a disaster, and that is exactly the disaster that we see that the church in Corinth had wandered straight into. In the church in Corinth, they started to put up a barrier between members, and it was about the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, as you may know, is a thing that we Christians do sometimes when we get together, Uh, We've been doing it uh, since the very beginning of the church. It's as old as the church is. It's a special thing. Uh, Not because it has any kind of magic voodoo. It doesn't particularly make you closer to God or anything like that. It's a special thing just because it reminds us of what Jesus has done for us. And Paul talks about it a bit in this passage. He says, verse 23, that Jesus set this up. That on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took some of the bread and some of the wine that was sitting there at the Passover meal that He was eating with His disciples. And He said this is an illustration of how His body was going to be broken for the disciples. And it's an illustration of how His blood was going to be poured out for His disciples. It's an example of how how His death nourishes us spiritually in the same way as a bit of food nourishes us physically. And so, so, Paul says, verse 26, that this little meal that we eat, it's a proclamation. When we eat it, we're saying to each other... That we trust Jesus. We're saying to each other that Jesus' death is the centre of our lives, it's the thing that keeps us going and Jesus has said, we should keep on doing this for as long as it takes until He returns. Now, this is supposed to be a meal where the unity of the church is on display. We eat one meal together because there is only one sacrifice, one Saviour. He's the same sacrifice and same Saviour for all who come to Him, no matter their background, That's the idea behind this meal. But, you read this letter, 1 Corinthians, and you discover that over in Cray Cray Corinth, they've started to undermine the whole idea behind the meal. They've started to make some parts of the meal exclusive. They're having a a different supper for the rich members of the church compared to the poor members of the church. Let me read it for you again from verse 20, just so you can get a feel for what's going on. This is what he says, verse 20. So then, when you come together it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go on ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the Church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. You've got to realise that ancient churches used to meet in the homes of their members. They didn't have their own special buildings to meet in from the beginning, that took a a couple of centuries to get going before they got to that point. They would usually meet in the home of a rich person, because the rich people had these big rooms that everyone could fit in, poor people didn't have enough space to fit the whole church in. Uh, So far, so good, makes sense, meeting in a rich person's home. But, over in Corinth, the richy-riches of the church have turned the Lord's Supper into one of their dinner parties... And as they've done it, they've lapsed back into their old exclusive ways. You know, if you're a rich person, then you're not usually going to be in the habit of inviting the riff-raff to come to your fancy dinner party. No, it's exclusive. It's for you and your rich friends. And they're bringing that exact same kind of thinking into church life. You can imagine on that night, people are rocking up for church, they're knocking on the front door, and they're being directed to two different rooms, one for the rich folk, one for the poor folk. It's a bit like when you line up to get on the plane, which is, I imagine, going to happen again someday. I don't know. Seems like a distant memory now. But, but you get on a plane and you, you get to the, the entrance point, and are you turning left to go to the fancy bit of the plane because you pay big money to get in first class? Or are you turning right to go into economy because you're like the rest of us? It's that sort of division. The Lord's Supper is happening at this church, but it's being divided. Some people are getting together for a private banquet. They're filling their bellies. They're getting drunk. The other average Joes are being sent over there, and they're staying hungry. You know, maybe they're getting a little bit of bread, a little bit of wine. You know, technically, they're all meeting the same meal. But well and truly, it is divided. Between the haves and have-nots. You know, between those who can afford gold class and those who can't afford to go to the movies at all. Paul hears about this, And he understandably rips into them for it. It's like, what what are you doing? Verse 18, you are divided. You are divided when you should actually be coming together. Or verse 22, you are despising God's church. You're humiliating a bunch of people just so that you can honor a select few. This is a massive misstep. For this church. It's a massive misstep for any church. It would be a huge misstep for us at CV to uh, start dividing along these weird lines. I actually think the harshest criticism comes right at the very beginning of this section, verse 17. Here's what Paul says when he starts thinking about this whole topic. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Your meetings do more harm than good yikes. I mean, imagine if the same sort of thing was said about us and what we do together on a Sunday here at Central Villages. Imagine if people watched what we were doing and said, this is doing more harm than good. That would be heartbreaking, wouldn't it? Absolutely heartbreaking, because the whole point of what we're doing together is to make sure that we are doing good. We put in all this effort to run Sundays to run church life, we do it, we serve hard, we contribute, we put in backbreaking effort because we want to see eternal good done. We want to see people getting brought to Jesus and built up in Jesus and then sent out for Jesus. That's the goal. But imagine if all of that came to nothing because of how we conduct ourselves when we meet. Imagine if all of your hard work ended up hurting people's relationship with God instead of helping it, It Turns out that how you run your meetings is just as important as what you talk about when you do meet. How we meet is just as important as what you talk about when you meet. When Jesus spent His ministry years going from kind of town to town in Galilee and Samaria in northern Israel... He caused a massive stir for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons he caused such a massive stir is because of the way he went and spent quality time with everybody and anybody. He went and spoke to everybody and anybody. He went and ministered to everybody and anybody. Jesus went and called people from all sorts of backgrounds to come and follow him. That just wasn't the done thing. That's just not what you did, even as a religious leader. But Jesus goes and does it because he was insistent that his gospel, his good news, was good news for all people. That he was the one that all people needed, that there's no other way, no other plan B. If anyone's going to get right with God, it has to be through Jesus. And so, he is very clear, everyone needs to be able to come to me. And he shows it in his ministry. In a world where people were rather divided, Jesus says, unite around me. Unite around trusting me because frankly, there are no other working alternatives. And he shows it in his actions. Tax collectors and prostitutes and Roman centurions and and Jewish Pharisees, they never, never would have normally sat together. But they all find themselves coming and sitting with Jesus. And when his people started living in the exact same way, it was a powerful moment that changed the world. Going to church in the ancient world in those first few centuries would have been a very weird experience, because you'd enter that house and people would be mixing together who would never normally mix in regular society. I mean, I mean why would a master choose to hang out with his slaves, since the master, in their thinking, would love the slaves? Why would a man choose to go and hang out with women because in their thinking, he's above them? Why would, why would elders choose to go and hang out with spotty, annoying teenagers when they are above them? It's, the, it's this super hierarchical society where everyone is acutely aware of which level of the hierarchy they sit on and no one feels like there's any need or any possibility of changing your rank But then along comes Jesus and he changes stuff. He changes your eternity, he changes your whole direction of your life, and he also changes your social life. Because there's no savior for the weak who isn't also the savior for the strong, is there? There's no savior for the rich who isn't also the savior for the poor. There's no saviour for women who isn't also the saviour for men. There's no saviour for the old who isn't also the saviour for the young. We are all of us united in our sin, and we are all of us united in our need for Jesus. You can't say, I belong to Jesus, but then choose to shun the rest of the people who agree with you on that. You can't be a solo Christian. It's kind of like getting married. If you want Him... You've got to take his family along with him. Which means that, with Jesus, dividing walls have come tumbling down. With Jesus, dividing walls come tumbling down. And that has to be reflected in how we, his people, gather. We have to gather like family How we choose to run our church, how we choose to run our services, how we choose to run our lives as Christians can be an opportunity to reflect the power of the Gospel. The significance of what Jesus has done can be on display in us. This isn't Garden Club, as great as Garden Club is. this, This isn't six of your friends hanging out at Macca's on a Friday night, as thoroughly great as that is. This Church thing is unique. It is special in a way that nothing else is. And so Paul says if you are sharing in the Lord's Supper, this this aspect of church life, in a way that is divided, if you're eating in a way that doesn't honor Jesus and doesn't uphold what he has achieved on the cross, he says you, you are sinning. Verse 27 Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. We will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. You're minimizing the significance of His sacrifice. and So, so He says, examine yourself, stop, and think about what you're doing when you turn up to church. I should say that this this idea of eating in an unworthy manner, it's sometimes been taken by people to mean that if you turn up to the Lord's Supper, and you're a sinner, that you somehow are doing it wrong, that you somehow don't belong. It cannot possibly be that. Because the whole point of the Lord's Supper is that sinners are turning up to the table of the Lord and finding their love and forgiveness, because that is what Jesus has come to do. We can come as sinners. That is not what it means to turn up and eat in an unworthy manner. What it means is that if you are turning up and eating in a way that shows no regard for what Jesus has done, then shame on you. As Paul says to the Corinthians, you've got to be discerning the body of Christ, verse 29. Verse 29. And that isn't about studying this bit of bread and thinking, hmm, yes, this is somehow turning into Jesus before my very eyes. That's not what it means to discern the body of Christ. What it means to discern the body of Christ is to look around and see the people who make up the body of Christ. To look at these faces and realize, wow, look at how diverse the kingdom of God is. Look at how diverse my family is. Look at how broad the group of people is that Jesus is bringing together. Discerning the body of Christ means realizing that Jesus has brought together people who are very different and made them His own. And we have to make sure we include everyone. We need to make sure we're including everyone in our church meals. We need to make sure we're including everyone in our pre-church chat times. We need to make sure we're including everyone in our after-church social life. And if we're not, then we're botching it. Paul says, go eat at home if you're hungry. And this is interesting. There, there is a place for God-given selfishness. There's a place where we just do things for us, where we only do things with our, with our nearest and dearest. That is a normal thing. That is a natural thing. That is a necessary thing. you reflecting the gospel doesn't mean that we have to 100% turn into a bunch of communal hippies who only ever share everything together. It's it's okay for you to have best friends who you're closer with than others. It's okay for us in our church family to be closer to some than we are to others. But, even though that is the case, it is so important that when we get together, we work hard to make sure that this is a place where everyone is welcome. Where everyone knows that they're welcome. Where everyone knows that they're loved. That's what wasn't happening at Corinth. If you're someone who likes being divided along party political lines, then you're going to struggle with Jesus. If you're someone who finds great comfort in only hanging out with people who are very similar to you, then you're going to have real issues with Jesus. If you find joy in being separate from the riffraff, if you find comfort in being close to people who eat the same as you and talk the same as you and dress the same as you, then you're gonna run into trouble when you start following Jesus. Now, of course, I know that when I talk about those kind of divisions, none of us go, hey, yeah, that's me. You know, like that, none of us identifies as a person who is xenophobic. It's always way more subtle. It's it's the way we gravitate towards some people, but not others. It's the way we take the time to text message some people but not others. It's the way our our friendship circles naturally fill up with people who are just like us to the exclusion of others. So much of it is just subconscious. And like I've said, not all of it is terrible, not all of it is bad. There is a place for having a closer friendship with just a few. But we always need to ask the question of, are my actions, is my social life, reflecting the power of the cross, the uniting power of Jesus? Or is it instead kind of making a mockery of it? I I suspect that that's what's going on in Corinth. These rich Christians, they're they're not maliciously choosing to exclude all of the poorer people. You know, I don't think it was some sort of a a premeditated hate act. They're just not thinking. You know, they're turning up to church and they're seeing their long-time buddies who are also rich, and so they're going, hey, let's go and do the same sort of stuff that we've always done as a rich bunch of people. Let's go and have our dinner party. They're just not thinking. And that's what we've got to watch out for as well, just not thinking. We've all got people in our lives with whom we have very kind of natural friendships, you know. They're the same sort of people who who share our interests and they're a similar age and stage and and maybe we're close to them because we're family. Maybe we're close to them because we grew up with them. We all have people like that in our lives. They are our natural network. It's very easy to be close to those who are in your natural network and honestly, nothing wrong with that. We need a tight bunch of people to thrive. But when it becomes an exclusive thing, when, when it's that and nobody else, when it's those people in your close crew to the exclusion of a whole bunch of other people, then we've got an issue. Especially when you you take that kind of exclusivity to church with you. Because the church family is so much bigger than just those few people. And unless we work hard to deliberately and, and thoughtfully embrace people at church even the people who we don't find ourselves naturally gravitating towards, then what's going to happen is that we will stuff up our church. We will stuff up our witness to the gospel. Just like in Corinth, Paul says, they are stuffing up their church, they are stuffing up their witness to the gospel in the way they're dividing. Their thoughtlessness meant that their church services were doing more harm than good. Remember that, How we meet matters. How you choose to come to church matters. The mindset you come with to church has a massive impact. And I've got a really lockdown specific way we can think about doing this. On a normal Sunday, when we come into these buildings, when we're here in person, we bump into all sorts of people. And yes, some of them are our close church friends, but there's also a whole bunch of other people. And you know, if we've got our wits about us, if we're thinking straight, if we're discerning the body of Christ, then we take the time to make sure that we're not just talking to our close few, but that we're talking to a whole big range of people. We chat with more than just our buddies. We say hi to the newbies. We, we, we take the time to slowly get to know others. It's never just me and my four friends at church when we're in person. It's me, my four close friends, and then all of the rest of our family. That's what it's like in person. But the problem is that we've been in lockdown for, what, six, seven weeks, and there's no end in sight. And when you're in lockdown, boom, that whole massively wide social aspect of church comes to a very sudden end. I mean, chances are, you're probably still sticking close to your close few. You know, you're still in touch with them, you're still connecting with them. Chances are that's taking place. But if you're anything like me, then there's a whole bunch of others who you would naturally be connecting with in person who have just totally fallen off your radar, the kind of people you would chat with on a Sunday, you're not doing that anymore. And I don't think that's good enough. I don't think it's a good and healthy thing that in times of lockdown, we just retreat to our little circles and don't take the time to continue to embrace the whole bunch of people God has brought together in this place. And so here's, here's an idea for you. Maybe this week, maybe this week you should take the time to remember someone at church who you would normally... Chat with and say hi for five minutes. Maybe remember that new person who you've been slowly getting to know a little bit. Remember those people who sit outside of your little natural bubble and this week, do something to say hi to that person. You know, add them on Facebook. They're probably in our members group on Facebook. Find them there and add them and start a chat. Or or if you've got a paper directory, flick through your directory and and find their phone number and send them a text message. and, And if you can't remember their name, text me and I'll see if I can remember their name for you and I'll hook you up with them, but make sure you're doing something to connect with people who are not just your closest. Make sure you're doing something to show the love that Jesus has in the way He has brought us together. That would be such a good thing for us to do across this lockdown, wouldn't it? Today as a church, as has been mentioned, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and of course it's going to be over Zoom, uh, BYO bread and juice, and if you don't have juice, just find whatever else you got in the house. We're going to drink Ribena here for those of us who are, who are in the building. Whatever you got to drink, Jesus won't mind. If you trust Jesus, or if you want to trust Jesus, then whatever your background, whatever your status, whatever your history, whatever your ethnicity, whatever, please come. Come and join that Zoom and, and share in being part of this big, wide family that is us here at Central Villages. You might be someone who's never actually set foot in this building, Please still come and show that you are part of this family. I love the way here at our church, we are a church that is not making the same mistakes as at Corinth. We're the kind of church that is working hard to make sure we're embracing a wide group of people. We're working hard to make sure that there are not these unnecessary barriers standing between us all. I love that about our church. Let's make sure we keep it going even through this time of lockdown. Let me pray for us. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for the way Jesus has brought us together. Belonging to the church is such a special thing. Having this group of people who we share a common life with is just one of the most precious things about being a Christian. Lord, please help us to continue to show that. Please help us to work hard to make sure that we're embracing new people, embracing people who are very different to us. Sure, Lord, we have our nearest and dearest, and that is a good thing, but we ask that you would help us to be so countercultural that we would work hard to push out of our comfort zones and to keep on chatting with people who are very different to us but who we share Jesus with. Lord, please help us to do that even in lockdown when our natural social connections are a bit broken down and busted. Please help us to make the effort to reach out and chat to someone we wouldn't normally chat to. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.